Well, thank you so much for joining our ABF online service. And I pray that you are having a fantastic week and you are showing up today to be challenged in your walk with the Lord. Well, whether you are near or far, we'd love to hear for, from you. So text us at 97000, your prayer requests, uh, anything that you would like to share with us. Man, our staff considers it a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Well, at ABF, we have so many things going on throughout the week. We've got Bible studies, life groups, children's events, tons of things. We'd love for you to jump on our website at agorabible.org and check out how you can get involved. Our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support. And we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting us. So if you'd like to make a donation, just go on our website and you can hit the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's word, I would love for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from your word, from you, God Almighty. So Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would speak to every individual that is here, ready to hear a word from you. So Lord, speak clearly to us. We open ourselves up to your authority. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, Miss Adrian, and hello, everyone. So good to be with you on this fine day. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to get into God's Word together, uh, but I wanted to share some fun news around the Antioho world. Just last night, my brother and his wife welcomed their third child, a baby boy, Seth Daniel Antioho, into the world. I'm an uncle again. Go me. Pretty great. Uh... So my brother uh, married a woman named Lindsay. Uh, I am also married to a woman named Lindsay. Uh, it's possible you did not know that we are both married to Lindsay Antiohos. That is true. Another thing that you might not know is that there is a, quite a web uh, connecting Pastor Chris, who preached last week, and myself. Uh, so Lindsay, my sister-in-law, is number five, uh, daughter out of five girls in her family. Uh, number four, Abby, attends here at the church at ABF. Number three, Christina, is married to Pastor Chris. So Chris and I are technically family, which is pretty cool. And number two, Bethany, is actually married to my cousin. They live out in Chicago. It's all kind of crazy and weird. Diagrams have been drawn if you're interested in getting that. But I tell you that because Chris and I have been really good friends. We've been best friends for quite a long time. I think we're coming up on like 20 years of being best friends. Pretty wild. Uh, he was a volunteer at the high school ministry that I was a student at. When I was a senior, he was just a couple years older, but came on as a volunteer staff. And because we were so close in age, we just hit it off. The rest is history, man. We were roommates in college for a year at good old Trinity International University. And all this to say is we have just been really close for a really long time. Uh, on our application video for The Amazing Race, when we tried out to be on that TV show, uh, he dropped a line 
that I still don't know how I feel about it. He said that I was like his second wife. The things that she couldn't do, I did for, and I never really quite got it, and I still feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, But that's just the type of friendship that we've had over the years. And based on the longevity and depth of our relationship, it is only fitting that our two messages, Chris's message from last week and my message this week, just fit in just like a glove. I'm basically getting a nice piggyback ride up on Pastor Chris's back off of his message from last week. If you haven't been around, you should definitely check it out. We're in this summer series called 10 Questions Jesus Asked, Asked, just exploring some questions that Jesus asked all through Scripture. Last week, Chris uh, talked about the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? It was really good, really practical, and ultimately arriving at the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is Lord. And uh, out of all of the questions that Jesus asked, there were plenty of them throughout Scripture. I think there is one question that is the perfect logical follow-up question to Chris's question last week. Who do you say that I am? Uh, fair warning as we dive in, uh, it won't be as mushy, gushy, and nearly as warm and fuzzy uh, as this intro has been. But let me pray for us, and let's get into God's Word together. Let me pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you for another, another week, uh, another chance to get into your word. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would show up and say what you want to say. Um, Lord, I feel like I say this even fairly regularly. I don't think there's necessarily any huge groundbreaking uh, new, wow, my mind is blown things. But yet here, Lord, uh, I know even for me, it's kind of drawing me back to, God, I just want to have a heart that's after you and I want to follow after you. And so, God, would you use your word uh, to convict and change and mold me so that I look more like Jesus. Um, Lord, I ask that that's just our hearts here this morning uh, or afternoon or evening, whenever. Uh, God, as we just approach your word, and uh, would you use it in our lives uh, this week, this month, this year? We need you, and we ask you to show up now. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to Luke chapter 6. So, As mentioned, I believe that the question we are addressing today is definitely a logical follow-up to who do you say that I am, but it's not the logical follow-up because of the the context, right? uh, Today's question does not follow immediately after Chris's question. Uh, Jesus didn't ask, who do you say that I am? And then the next question out of his mouth was the one that we're addressing today. That's not true. Uh, Today's question was actually asked months before Chris's question when it comes to just the timeline of Jesus's ministry. Uh, He asked it in a completely different setting. He asked it to a completely different group of people. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked to his 12 disciples. And today's question, he asked to a giant, giant crowd. A little background on the setting of what's going on. Some scholars say that the section of scripture that we are reading today is at the very tail end 
of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount being uh, Jesus's probably most popular and famous sermon that he ever gave. Uh, We see that recorded in the book of Matthew. Some scholars say that this is just Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Other scholars say, nope, completely different sermon. Yes, he's using some of the same uh, material and content because Jesus would use the same content as he preached around uh, over a number of years. Um, But this is not the Sermon on the Mount. Truth be told, I don't think it really matters. I don't think it matters at all. I have an opinion. If you want to know, you can ask me. But I don't think it really matters at all if this is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount or not. Um, I bring it up really just to set the stage. Jesus has been teaching this massive crowd for a while. He's got this sermon. He's teaching them. And he closes his sermon with a very provocative question. A very, very provocative question. And I would say, as we read here now, today, the question is just as provocative for us. Let's take a look at the question. We're in Luke 6, starting in verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We're going to stop there. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was thinking it's possible. I'm even setting a record. A fewest amount of words before we stopped reading, before you heard the phrase, let's stop there. Um, but seriously, let's just let that question sink in. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Honestly, I think if we ponder on that question enough, just those however many words, I think there is conviction just in the question alone. And man, isn't that just the logical follow-up to who do you say that I am, right? Who do you say that I am? You say that I'm the Christ? You say that I'm Messiah? You say that I'm Lord? Okay. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Well, that being said, I think it's interesting to note uh, that the group that Jesus was posing this question to, they would not have all answered the same way to who do you say that I am. They wouldn't have all answered, you are Christ, you are Messiah, you are Lord. The group that he's preaching this sermon to was much more diverse than that. It was a massive massive crowd. So back in Jesus' time when he was like, and especially in the heart of his ministry, uh, holy smokes, it was wild. It was incredible the thousands and thousands of people that were following him around just to hear him talk. If you think about the feeding of the 5,000, a pretty popular story in the New Testament, uh, that's 5,000 men that Jesus fed. Uh, most likely, that group of people that gathered to hear Jesus talk in that, on that specific occasion was probably around 20,000 people. Like, the numbers are bonkers. It's pr- 
pretty wild to think about. He was like a rock star, modern day superstar athlete. Like there was just floods and floods of people coming to hear what Jesus had to say. And we see that's what's happening here. If we look back up the chapter in chapter six, all the way up to verse 17, that's kind of setting the stage. Verse 17 shows us who all is here. It says, and he, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So as we break down those three different groups that are there, the them that's referenced in verse 17 is the 12 disciples. Then we see that there's a great crowd of his disciples. These are other followers. Man, as people heard the message of Jesus, People were just following him around. Like there was other followers um, here described as other disciples, but people that were following Jesus around wanted to be a part of the ministry, were supporting the ministry. Like there was this huge movement starting even when Jesus was right there. And we'll, we'll reference that and talk about that a little bit later. And then the third group here is a great multitude, a great multitude. This is Jews, Gentiles, the whole shebang, everybody is there. This is the group that Jesus asked this question to. People at all various levels of following him. You've got people on one side that are so devoted to him and are following him with their entire lives, love him, are committed to him for forever. On the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you've got people that are literally there against him, trying to trap him in the words that he says. And everybody in between. And this is the group that Jesus asks this question to. I bring it up because it is an incredibly direct correlation for today, right? Regardless of where you find yourself, in regards to your understanding of and devotion to Jesus, regardless of where you find yourself and your understanding of and your devotion to Jesus, this question is worth pondering today. Why would you call Jesus Lord and not do what he tells you? So today in America, uh, I don't think that we really have a framework for the term Lord outside of religion, okay? If you're like me, the easiest, like how we equate Lord is just a synonym for God, right? It's just another word for God. And while that's not wrong, right? We do use the word Lord as a title for God. Uh, that is true. Um, the reason why we use the word Lord as a synonym or a direct correlation for saying God is because it defines his position in the universe. It defines his position in the universe. God, Jesus, is king of the entire universe. He is supreme chancellor without any of the negative connotations, right? He is in complete power. He has complete power and is in complete authority of everything and everywhere. That is why we call him Lord, because of his position in the universe. Now, the phrase Lord and Savior uh, that has been a very popular phrase for the entirety of my existence. All I've known in Christianity uh, involves the phrase Lord and Savior. Uh, generally, that's the title we use for Jesus in our lives, and rightfully so. I think it's a great title, very accurate, uh, absolutely correct. 
But I think Jesus' question here that we're looking at today should awaken at least a little self-evaluation. And the reason why is this. We all love Jesus as Savior. We love the idea of Jesus as Savior. I would go so far as to say is everyone that is watching this video chose to have a relationship with Jesus, chose to follow Jesus with your life because of him being savior. Every single one of us goes back to, I want Jesus as savior, therefore I want a relationship with him. I would go so far as to say that every single one of us wants that. However, there is no such thing as having a relationship with Jesus where we get him as savior, but we do not make him Lord of our life. That relationship status does not exist. A relationship with Jesus where we choose him as savior, but we do not make him the ultimate authority, the complete king of our lives. That does not exist. The automatic response to a genuine understanding of what Jesus has done for us is making him Lord. That is the only genuine response to fully understanding and grasping what Jesus has done for us. So, I, uh, I think that is why he poses the question to this broad group of people. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? It doesn't make any logical sense. If that is how you are living your life, you are deceiving yourself. Jesus is not actually Lord of your life. The next question that needs to be asked, I think, is what does he mean by do what I tell you? What does he mean by that? Uh, is he referring to specific things? Like how broad, how general, how specific is to what he was just talking about? Uh, I like to think of it like this. So uh, I am a father. I have a little two-year-old toddler. Uh, also have another daughter, um, that's 10 months old, but specifically in regards to this, uh, when you have a two-year-old toddler, and for those that have ever had a toddler before, uh, chances are you have made the statement, um, Holly, or whatever your child's name is, you need to do what I tell you. You need to listen. You need to obey me. Now, uh, chances are, if you have ever had a toddler, you have said that multiple times a day, every day, over <laughs> like an extended period of time. Um, so that happens quite frequently around the Antioho household uh, right now. Um, you need to do what I tell you. You need to obey. Um, and most of the time when that is said, it is in regards to a specific directive that has been given recently. However, I also would say that it applies very generally very broadly to everything I ever say, right? Like in the, in the moment, it might be referring to something specific, but also it absolutely broadly means, Holly, you need to listen to everything that daddy says. That is what you need to do. And the exact same thing is true here in this situation. That is what Jesus is saying. If you call him Lord, doing what he tells you, refers to everything he says. We do not get to pick and choose. I'd like to do something a little bit different uh, today. 
Um, when I personally listen to sermons, uh, which is fairly regularly, uh, weekly, <laughs> uh, if not more, um, I always like when pastors give very specific examples from scripture. So in like a case like this, if I were listening to myself speak, uh, I would want to hear some things that would fall into this category. Maybe what are some things that we don't do that the Lord Jesus calls us to be doing? Um, so, uh, while I do agree with myself that I don't think Jesus is limiting himself here, uh, and he is referring very broadly to everything he says in Scripture, I also can deduct that without a doubt, with 100% certainty, back in context to the group that he is just giving this full sermon to, and now comes and asks this question, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Um, he is absolutely referring to the things he just taught. And by using those powerful <laughs> form, that powerful form of deduction, um, what I would like to do here uh, today is here in a moment, uh, I'm going to have you pause the video. So you can kind of get ready to pause that. Also, while I'm giving you some instruction, make sure you get a Bible or a phone that has the Bible app on it because this will not be up on the screen while you pause me. Um, but I'd love for you to get out a Bible or get out your Bible app. And what I want you to do here in a moment is you're going to pause me, and I want you to read a little excerpt from Jesus' sermon that he just gave to this crowd. What you're going to do is you're going to read uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 42, and I just want you to read those little sections of what Jesus has just preached to this crowd. Uh, it should take you about 90 seconds. I literally timed it out earlier, so not very long. I just want you to silently read it out. If you're together in a group and you want to have one person read it out loud, that's fine, but I think it's better to have everybody have eyes on the text. Um, so go ahead, pause me, read Luke 6, verses 27 to 42, and then unpause when you're done. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Now, that was just 16 verses, pretty small portion of the entirety of Scripture. Uh, and I know that you just got lit up, right? I mean, I, I did as I read through that. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. Give to every single person who begs from you. God's character, he's kind. He's kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to the evil. Be like him. If you want to receive forgiveness, both in this life and in the life to come, Forgive other people. Take the log out of your own eye before you try and remove the speck out of somebody else's eye. Wow. Now, to be clear, I think I need to give a little caveat here. The, the call of Jesus' question is not to perfection. Uh, Jesus is not expecting us once we call him Lord, that we have to be perfect. Uh, that is impossible. That is not the point he's trying to make. If that was the case, uh, like n literally zero people would live up. 
that being said, this, that section that you just read, this is what Jesus tells us. This is how he calls his followers to live. This way. Why would you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? I think the question is, man, what is your heart's response when you read convicting sections of scripture directly out of Jesus's mouth, especially? What do you do? What is your heart's response to that? Do you make excuses? Do you just kind of like brush it off as just like churchy talk or Bible-y talk or whatever? Or do you have a soft and humble heart for how Jesus calls us to live? Generally speaking, when you are convicted of something, when the Holy Spirit does some convicting in your heart, when you're convicted of something, do you actually take action to make change and implement change in your life? Or does it just stop at conviction? I've talked about this before. Uh, Our culture, specifically our Christian culture today, is so obsessed with insight. We love the idea of like, our Holy Spirit getting pricked or having an insight or having something like touch us or catch us. We love that. But most of the time it stops there. We equate feeling conviction with actually changing when we haven't changed at all. Generally speaking, when you're convicted of something, do you actually take steps to address it? What is God changing in you right now? What is God working on in your heart, in your life at this very moment? If I'm being honest, I don't think the Lord leaves us alone very long. I don't think it's this like, come to me, okay, I'll change a couple of things, off to go, you know, you're good to go forever. Um, I, I am firmly convinced that it is a lifelong process. Sanctification, looking more and more like Jesus, is lifelong. There's not these gigantic stretches where he's not doing anything. The Lord is consistently wanting to move and work in our lives. All it takes is a little time in God's word. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit will do some meddling in our lives. We should look more and more and more and more like the person Jesus tells us to be. I have been triathlon training for a little bit over a year now, coming up on like a year and a half. I've got a big race coming up in October. And uh, I've had this conversation a couple of times lately. Uh, I have improved so much in all three disciplines, in swimming, biking, and running. Um, But the change, the improvement has been pretty incremental. In short bursts, I can see like a little bit of improvement for sure. But when I stand here now and I look back to me a year and a half ago and the distances that I could swim, bike, or run compared to now, it's just like, it's wild. It's like night and day. And I think that is absolutely the picture of what our lives should look like too when it comes to following Jesus. Maybe incrementally over the short periods of time, I don't know. But if I look back to a couple years ago, man, the Lord has been working on some stuff. He's been doing some stuff in my heart and in my life. So he asks the question. He's had the sermon. He asked the question And now he closes by sharing an illustration to kind of drive home the point. Let's check out that illustration in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man 
building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Reading that, uh, I couldn't help but be reminded of the flooding out east just this past week. There was an area in Pennsylvania, I don't know if you heard about this, they got six to seven inches of rain in 45 minutes. Absolutely insane. I saw some videos. I don't know if you've caught any of the videos. Uh, it's wild. Like the streets, like in the neighborhoods, looked like raging rapids. Uh, I saw a car getting pushed sideways just down a street by the water. It was absolutely nuts. Um, I've always kind of thought when I've been watching those videos, man, how amazing would it be to be the guy like riding around on a jet ski just like through town? Like this just sounds so cool. Not that I'd actually want to be like in that situation. I just think it'd be cool. Maybe one day, uh, but hopefully not. Um, anyways, the whole, re I bring that up because the mental image of the flood just coming through and attacking these homes, like I couldn't shake it with the timing of these floods coming through, pretty wild. So in this picture that Jesus is painting, there are two identical houses located right next door to each other. From the outside, can't see any differences at all. The only difference that we know of the foundation. Personally, I'm not a very handy guy, uh, but even I know that the foundation of a home is pretty darn important, and that is proven true here in the illustration, because as the flood rolls through the two homes, they had two very different outcomes. Predictably, the house that was built well and on the foundation stood strong. The home that was built on the ground without a foundation fell immediately and was destroyed. Don't you hate when Jesus' stories are so cryptic and confusing and like, man, what's the point you're trying to make here, Jesus? Yeah, I'm totally kidding because that's like about as plain and simple and obvious as it gets. Like he's not hitting, hiding any meaning. Like it's just right out there. It is straight forward. Who do the men in Jesus's illustration represent? Well, those who do what he says here in this life are like the man who built his house well on a good foundation. Those who don't do what he says, like a man who built his house without a foundation. Straightforward. Really, the main question that I think that needs to be posed is, well, what do the houses actually represent? What do the houses actually represent? And while you stew on that for a second, I would like to point out the fact that Jesus only presents two houses here. It's not a street block with 20 houses, and the house down here has a great foundation and is built well. This house has no foundation, and there's everybody in between. There's not. I think it is very intentional that Jesus only presents two different options. Like it is a pretty binary uh, choice here that Jesus is setting up. Either you are the type of person who does what Jesus says or you are not. Either you're the type of person that does what Jesus says or you're not. 
And again, I'm not referring to perfection. Deep down, at the core of who you are, you are either a person that is committed to following Jesus, obeying Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, no matter what, or you're not. It all comes down to your heart. It doesn't matter what, person, what type of person you claim to be. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks you are. It all comes down to your heart, and the Lord knows your heart. It is a huge deal, both in this life and the life to come, because in Jesus' illustration, the houses represent our lives. They represent our lives, both in this life and the life to come. And the whole point is this. Floods are going to come in your life here on this earth. They are absolutely going to come. They are undoubtedly going to come, and they're going to come regularly. The sizes of the floods might vary, but you have no idea when a giant flood is coming through. And the question that Jesus is asking is, is your life actually built on the foundation? Is your life built on the foundation, on his foundation? I'll tell you what, there have been moments in life where I don't know where I would be, I don't know where our marriage would be if we didn't have the foundation of Jesus in our lives. I am not claiming to be perfect by any means. Please, you can hear that over and over again. But man, there is a foundation from following after him and seeking after him, again, which I don't do perfectly. But there is a foundation that comes from following him that will... Uh, help us stand firm, our lives to stand firm in whatever floods happen on this earth. There's also another flood. There is one flood that is marked on God's calendar that every single human will face. Every single human will stand before him at his throne one day as he wraps up this whole earth thing and every single human will have to answer the question that he asks, why should I let you in? Why should you come on in? And the only acceptable answer is, honestly, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But I've put my hope in Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior I am counting on his death and resurrection, and I am using that as my entrance to come on in. That is the only acceptable answer. Question. Do you think someone can just kind of be standing in line, right? Like waiting to get up to the throne. Jesus is, is sitting up there ready to ask everybody the question. Standing in line, walking one after another. Hears somebody say that very answer and be like, oh, I'm going to use that one, you know? Didn't care at all about following Jesus, had nothing to do with Jesus while living on this earth, but goes up and says, I am choosing. Like, do you think the Lord, like, will see through that? Does the Lord not know hearts? It's not just saying the right words. Uh, I would hope we could agree here at that point. There's not a way to cheat the system. Words are worthless unless they are confirmed by action. Words are worthless unless they are confirmed by action. If I tell my wife every single day how much I love her, how she's the only one for me, how she's my soulmate, how I just think like we are just meant to be, I could tell her those things all the time. But if I'm off with another woman, those words are pretty worthless, right? Like they're just not, they're just not true. 
And the same is also true in this situation, calling Jesus Lord, but not having hearts of doing what he tells us, that's worthless. Calling him Lord, but you're not, but he's not Lord. As I mentioned earlier, uh, there are three different groups listening to the sermon that day. Uh, all of them had to wrestle with this question. I think it is a question that is worth wrestling for every single person. That being said, I would contend that there was a primary intended audience. The three groups again, there was the great multitude. The great multitude, Jews, Gentiles, everybody and their mother coming out. And my guess is that there was probably a mix of responses to Jesus's question and illustration. But that being said, every single one of them would have walked away understanding how massive of a deal it was to follow Jesus. How it required everything of you. Now, granted, we receive everything by following Jesus, but it requires everything of us as well. The second group, the great crowd of disciples. I actually believe that this was most likely the primary intended audience of Jesus' question and illustration. Uh, if you just think about who would have called him Lord, like who would have actually called him Lord, those people that were following him around. But man, they were in the greatest need of a warning. The greatest need of a warning because they had the greatest possibility of deceiving themselves. See it played out in John's gospel. Actually, in chapter six, we hear that many of Jesus' disciples or his followers turned back and no longer followed him. It was after some really tough teaching, some things that Jesus was saying, man, that's hard. It is hard to follow Jesus. It's not just all butterflies and roses all the time. Like the Lord like asks everything of us. He wants to be our Lord. Many of his People that said that they were following at some uh, point in time turned away, no longer followed him. Now that might get into a deeper question of were they actually, was there actual salvation? Uh, we could get into it. I would say no, there wasn't actual salvation. They just thought that they wanted him. They were kind of playing the part and just saying, yeah, I want to follow after him. But was there actually deep heart change? No, because when you are actually genuinely changed by Jesus and understand what he's done for you, the only response is to call him Lord, regardless of what he asks. The last group is the 12. Uh, my guess is they, most of them, 11 out of the 12, probably had a similar response right? Just kind of an introspective, either a general thought of, man, there have got to be some areas in my life that don't live up to how Jesus is calling me to live. And I so desperately want to follow after that. God, would you help me? Lord, would you help me? I need help in following after you. I so much want it. Or even more specific, maybe they're like, man, there's this area that doesn't line up with how Jesus wants me to live. I know it. Like, I know it. God, would you help me? Like what my deepest heart's desire is, is to follow after you. I want, I want you as Lord. I don't want to just choose you as Savior. That is not a thing. God, I want you. Jesus, I need you as Lord of my life. Help me to make you Lord. And I think, man, that is exactly, exactly the heart that he wants for us today. 
a heart that is soft and humble and desperately just wants to following, follow after Jesus with all that we've got, even though we don't do it perfectly. But man, the foundation for the rest of our lives so we can stand strong not only in this life, but also on that day. Why would you call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells you? Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, man, sometimes these are, are hard words. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for how bold he was. Um, God, thank you that you don't leave us where we are. Um, thank you that you continue to call us into more, into the depths of following you. God, thank you for the foundation that we have because of you. The more that you call us, the more that you change us, the more that we allow you to change us, the more we look like you, the better our life is here on this earth, not always in all the exteriors, not always in all of the circumstantial stuff, but man, just that foundation that you give, it's so true, it's so real. God, and thank you for the foundation that we have in eternity uh, because of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful for him. We don't confuse anything as our work, as us earning this. We cannot earn it. It's simply an outpouring of our response for what Jesus has done. Because of what you've done, because you are my savior, God, I make you Lord of my life. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each of us in our specific situations and uh, those of us that have just generalities and general things that you wanna be working on. Uh, I would venture to say most of us, there are probably specific things, God, that you're wanting to work on in our lives, even right now. Would we have open hands and open hearts and give them to you again? God, we give you our hearts again. Oh, we love you so much. We need you. We need your help in this. Um, yeah, we are so grateful for your goodness. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.